everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manicherry and today's episode is with the wonderful Dr. Tiff Qureshi who needs no introduction. He is the pioneer of the aligned bleach and bond cases or for the sake of the title ABC aligned bleach and composite bonding um, cases and in today's episode we talk about where this all came from and some of the challenges that were met initially in trying to change the attitudes of dentists and patients. I'm so excited to announce that this episode has been brought to you by Dent Supply Serona and we'll be talking about Shaw Smile and its highly accurate customizable scan only system along with Dr. Tiff's dental career as he shares some insight into the dental world. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and now without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Dr. Qureshi. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, it's nice, nice to meet you. And you. I'm so glad that you can make it on the podcast. Before we get on to the topic, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here, please? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm a general practitioner. Um, I've been a practice owner for many years. In fact, actually, very recently, we just uh, sold our practice, but obviously I'm still working there. Um, but we've kind of got to that stage in our career where we kind of needed to do that. Myself and my, my partner, Dan Patel. Um, I've been involved in uh, teaching for probably around about 15 years. Um, I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, uh, but basically I'm also one of the um, owners of IAS Academy and, and we are a ortho stroke restorative teaching organization. Um, and we're just trying to help dentists do the best they can uh, with the dentistry they do. So yeah, I've been around for a while, written quite a lot. Um, we're talking about aligned bleach and bond a bit later um you know and that's something that I, I a lot of people consider i was a person that started that and uh, you know i know we'll get onto that subject at some point yeah absolutely i mean it's difficult for young dentists to know exactly what they want to do when they graduate and i know um you graduated some time ago and you've had some time to develop you know what you like and go into that a bit more but at what stage would you say you decided that you wanted to do something particular and at what stage did you decide that you want to actually start teaching about that to other dentists well i mean i mean i've been i've been qualified for 30 years I would say that back in those days we didn't have the kind of courses and the internet and you know you basically just got on with what you got on with um I probably was you know got, got stuck in the NHS for about five or six years but back in those days we also had a lot of um, mentors and we had um you know a lot of dentists that were doing a mixture of private and NHS dentistry that, lo- that kind of looked after us so we got a lot of education from them and um so for the first six years, I kind of was a bit uncertain. Um, I'll be straight up with you. Didn't particularly enjoy the job, if I'm straight straight honest, because it was quite difficult and uh, people weren't that grateful for what you did. It just seemed like that. And then, yeah, about six or seven years in, um, you know, we got actually got an intraoral camera, which some people still don't have. Uh, this is now 20 plus years ago. And that literally sort of switched a light on for me where it made me realize that actually we could communicate with patients so much better Mm. that then helped me understand why aesthetics was important because you're taking sort of pictures of what you're doing. And then I started getting involved with sort of cosmetics and aesthetics, you know, probably seven or eight years into my career. I know that happens a lot faster Mm. for people now. Um, And I suppose what I would think you know, with a lot of young dentists, I sort of sometimes think, you know, are oh, they doing it a bit too quickly? Um, 
potentially not. I think the thing that probably with younger dentists I'd say is that it's really important to know that you might be doing some treatment on this person now, um, but that person's still going to be around for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So how you manage that person is is really, really important. Um, that's probably the lesson that I've learned. So, yeah, I started back then. Um, I suppose nowadays I probably would have been into it two years in rather than sort of yeah. seven to eight years in. Uh, but things just seem to happen a lot more quickly nowadays, for sure. Yeah, I think the thing that I've noticed most, because I've been following your work very closely for a long time, uh, you're one of the celebrities of dentistry, as we all know. And I think one of the most important things that you portray is the longevity of the work that you do, because a lot of young dentists, for example, a lot of new people on the scene are posting a lot of before and afters, for example, on social media. And you're one of the few people that actually shows their pictures 10 years, 15 years from when you've done that. And I think that's something that's really, really important as well, because for a lot of us dentists, when we do treatment, we don't necessarily see the long-term effects of that treatment. So something that you do very well and that you can teach others is the longevity of the work and how important it actually is compared to that initial before and after and that instant gratification. Totally agree. Totally agree. And actually it was um, a life-changing lecture for me was hearing a dentist called um, Sverka Toroskog, who not many people would have heard of, younger as older dentists would have. He passed away a few years ago, sadly, but he's a dentist that works sort of between Norway and Sweden. Um, I luckily I got to know him, but uh, a lecturer I heard from him many years ago um, he was just showing case follow-ups 10, 15, 20 years later, and that kind of really blew my mind. It made me realise that everything's a lot more than just about before and after it's about what you've done for that person and then also how you manage it because i'm quite happy to say that if people look at my before and afters after 10 15 25 years it doesn't always look that good but the key thing is is that you you the process is actually learning how to manage that and to learn to manage the patient's expectations and i think the more that we do that the more that we're in touch with the people that we're treated um the easier it is to actually then fix something and the patient's not actually even considering it a failure. Whereas I think if you work in a very transient population, um, or perhaps you've got no intention of seeing people again, my own hunch uh, from all the people I know is that I think you're at much higher risk of generating complaints because Mm -hmm. I think patients who know their dentist well and are friends with them are probably far less likely to actually complain about them. And if something goes wrong, you sort it out between yourselves. So I think it's not just a case of doing things, in my opinion, clinically well and being responsible for it. It's actually also practicing safely, you know, in the sense that you, you are looking after somebody and you're going to take responsibility if and when something starts to, to fail. And I found that actually by having, you know, taking lots of images the patient's also seeing at five and six and seven years when they start to see bonding start to break down slowly, bit by bit. They're not they're not going to have a massive shock when they then need it redone two or three, four years down the line. Do you see what I mean? So it's it's like um, you know, you know, nothing's ever nothing's forever, but you're in the right place at the right time when it then needs to be redone but I guess that's very reassuring for you seeing your old work back knowing what you did right what you did wrong and what you could improve and that's something I guess young dentists just don't have the experience and when you see something it really brings home the messages that you learn on the courses that you go on for example I I don't think there's any better way of learning about your mistakes or what you did right than seeing your old work come back again as scary as it seems um, even six months down the line one year and so on 
definitely and i think you know the more the more you get into the habit of uh looking at everything close up photographing it the more you start to build a picture in your mind of how you know how things are likely to last and survive so therefore when you're then talking to the patient about what that treatment actually means you can actually be you know in your heart much more honest about what this actually is and why it's worth what it is and what the long-term expectation is rather than you know oh this is a veneer this is what it does it costs this but in your mind you've got no idea what it's going to look like 10 years down the line you're sort of selling something you don't really understand that's why i think i would say to people particularly young dentists you know as soon as you find a job that you're pretty happy with, um, you should try and you know get settled there. And the, the more you settle there, the better that job will be, the more you get to know the patients. Even yeah. if the practice isn't perfect, you can change, you can sort of change a practice by changing your patients. Do you see what I mean? And changing mm-hmm. your patient mentality. Um, and I think that's actually a in my, in my practice is a perfect example in that, you know, when I joined, um, it was, you know, it was. 100% NHS, 50% exempt. And, um, you know, it's not a rich area in any way or form, you know, it's, it's not. And um, we, you know, we gradually converted all our patients to being private, completely private. And, you know, we still retained a lot of patients who were on the NHS and even a lot of the exempt patients, believe it or not, um, we retained them. So it's, it's surprising when you build value, when you talk to people and you show them stuff, yeah they actually don't question the cost as much. Um, and I, I honestly think that's one of the biggest problems we have politically in dentistry, that we don't actually value ourselves and we don't, as a profession, bother explaining to patients why stuff costs what it does and what it actually means. You see yeah. what I mean? I, mean, I know we're not here to get into the politics, but I, I think that there is a problem out there for sure. I think that's that's very important. And I think being a young dentist, I mean, I qualified now seven years ago, but I'd still like to consider myself a youngish dentist. But I think that's one of the things that we don't talk about at dental school. They teach you very much about the clinical side of things, but they don't teach you how to communicate about things like costs or investments and things. And I think we almost feel apologetic that we have to tell the patient there's a fee associated with the service and I think exactly as you were saying if you make if you speak to your patients communicate with them just make them understand the value of the work you're doing the longevity of the work the complexity of the work that you're doing then the fees almost justifies itself and they understand and they appreciate because patients might not necessarily understand everything that we're saying I mean I I have been a patient myself recently and I really don't understand some of the things that doctors say and I think we Mm. undervalue that and we just assume that patients understand us. So if we can explain to them, and I think pictures are a very important way of communicating, you know, what something's going to look like in five years and why it might need to be replaced in five years, then you're in a much better place to have your patients trust you and to put trust in the work that you do. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I I don't know how anyone can practice dentistry without using cameras. Um, I, I, I still find it you know 30 years on I'm, I'm absolutely amazed that dentist students aren't using intraoral cameras every day um and this is this technology has been there for such a long time and you know obviously now scanners make such such a difference in that we can do even more and show everything in 3d and show changes and all this sort of stuff the question the, i just I don't understand why you wouldn't want to um mm. you know dentistry has uh, 30 years ago in the daily mail you know you'd read stories about bad stories about dentistry 30 years later you still read bad stories about dentistry but you know the answer is so simple in that yeah. we just should be communicating much more visually 
And if you do that more visually, I mean, now we now we've got the tools, and everyone, lots of people, people have got scanners now. But you know, there's cameras, digital cameras. Um, there's no reason not to do it. And so I think it's it's all there for us to do. It's just a case of actually doing it. So in the 30 years that you have been practicing, what would you say is one of the most challenging things you've had to go through? Um, what's been challenging? I suppose when I started teaching, um, you know, author and starting this sort of aligned beach and bond, aligned beach composite or contouring. I mean, it's actually ABB, not ABC. But I know a lot of people say ABC, ABC has a better fine, window than Ken. <laughs> but uh, but it, but it is. It was originally ABB. That's right. But but it doesn't really matter. It's the same. Thing. But um, when I started, there was quite a lot of negativity from one or two areas. That's for sure. Um, there were people that were in cosmetic dentistry that weren't especially happy because it kind of. Uh, and there are still people who are, who, um, you know, because it kind of interrupted their little veneer factories. And uh, you know what? I had a veneer factory. factory one. <laughs> we were just doing tons and tons and tons. But yeah. in truth, it was just not the right thing to do for lots of patients. Simple as that. And I suppose part of the orthodontic establishment wasn't especially happy either. However, um, I think a lot of that changed very rapidly uh, once we clearly outlined what we were doing what we were treating what we weren't treating how we were still doing proper ortho assessments mm. and consenting our patients and i think i think you know a line bleach bond in really helped introduce the concept of kind of limited objective orthodontics and made made that a, a valid thing because i knew certainly as a cosmetic dentist referring patients to orthodontists 20 20 20 years ago very few orthodontists back then would do limited treatment they only offered comprehensive and as a result a lot of patients said not having that done you're going to do my veneers okay so that's actually what got me doing this because i just thought you know what? i don't really want to do your veneers this i could i can move them just a little bit so i started doing a little bit of ortho and realized that patients um you know if you just focused on treating what they wanted um wouldn't have all that done so from a challenging perspective you know i think for a while i you know it's got quite a lot of flack, um, uh, but I you know, managed that perfectly well. And I think you know, slowly over time, um, that's just disappeared from straight up with you. Um, partly because actually what, we, what we've realized in the last 10, 15 years are all, all the enormous ortho restorative benefits of doing some ortho when you show and function and restorative treatment that is as well because when you show you know when you treated someone compared to when someone you didn't treat um you know the, the effect on kind of function guidance occlusion is just immense that people hopefully are starting to realize that ortho is not just ortho it's actually function guidance occlusion as well yeah so that that was a challenging time probably about 15 years ago but over the last sort of six or seven years it's been quite straightforward it's been actually really nice to see so many people um embracing this idea and what i want them now to do is just to sort of understand that it's not just about aesthetics that it's actually about yeah. the function and longevity as well um so using you know the great thing is so many people are using aligners it's easy when you're showing stuff to sort of help them sort of see you know when, when i when i for example when i do an if i teach an aligner course i am not just teaching aligners i'm teaching ortho restorative literally from from the from the beginning so that the, mm -hmm. so that the youngest people kind of understand the stuff that took me 10 to 15 years to understand um so they're getting it right there and then 
That's really interesting because for me as a as a dentist who qualified seven years ago and you know getting into cosmetic dentistry and restorative aesthetic cases it's just I've just taken it as a precedent that aligned bleach and bond cases are the the base of baseline of what we do they are at the center of what we do I never even imagined the political issue of not doing veneers because now I'm sure you've heard about this um, dental tourism and people going abroad to get all crowns done and things and a lot of UK-based dentists have spoken out about the, the negative mm. side of this um, but I didn't even it didn't even cross my mind that even here in the UK back in the day we were doing things very differently to what we're doing now and changing those attitudes must have been extremely extremely difficult because the new generation of dentists this is all we know minimally invasive dentistry is at the heart of everything that we do but that wasn't always the case Min- no. even 15 years ago mm. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was, we sort of, I think everyone does take it for granted now, but it was, it definitely, it definitely wasn't like that. And this sort of treatment was, was very rare. And you know what, there was actually a lot of countries where it still is. There are places where, you know, veneers, grounds and all the rest of it are still very widely used. And um, I've been, I've lectured in places quite recently where I, where I, I'm still surprised by the attitude, but it, you know, everything eventually uh, comes through. In reality, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that negativity and doubt and all this of it, it, it you, the, the way to counteract it is just to show people the results mm. and show them five years later, 10 years later. And any critic, you know, has to ask themselves, well, what are my own cases look like five or 10 years later? And most of the time they don't know themselves. So I think if you, this is the, this is the value, you know, get back to the point of, of long-term follow-up, the value of long-term follow-up is even if you do something which isn't necessarily the convention people find it very difficult to argue when you can actually show that what you did worked and even when it didn't work work completely or is starting to break down you you know you can explain how you're going to manage that patient and how that patient is still with you 10 15 20 years later so yeah it is a challenge i'm sure there'll be new challenges coming to (laughs) this generation at some point but um no I'm, i'm i'm you know really happy to see that so many different people are, are doing it and um i think obviously there's a lot of you know uh, a line of brands and companies or whatever that i think also appreciate there's this market that that is there now which perhaps wasn't there um sort of 15 20 years ago yeah absolutely now going more onto the topic of the podcast of aligned bleach and bond would you mm-hmm. as as one of the pioneers as the pioneer of this case i'm going to let you choose what we call it whether we call it abb or abc <laughs> um which would you prefer? <laughs> Do you know, I don't mind. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I, ABC has a better ring to it. <laughs> ABC kind of has a better ring, but I think I've been saying ABB for such a long time. It's quite hard for it, for it, to, for it to, for me to cancel it out of my mind. Um, so yeah, I don't. Honestly, I don't mind. It's 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 fine. It's fine. ABC or ABB, whichever. ABC or ABB. Personal it's, preference. It's yeah, all the it's, same thing. It's been one of the, I guess, it's been one of the hot topics of dentistry for the past few years now, to an extent that patients will come in asking for it, I guess, with the rise of social media and everything that patients are now seeing. Um, patient education is very high, so they come in asking for this minimally invasive dentistry, which is very, very good and refreshing to see. Um, so could you just explain for us what the concept of the treatment is? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the idea is, is that if someone wants cosmetic dentistry, the traditional way of kind of doing things would be, you know, you might do smile design, you might do some imaging, you might do, you might do a wax up, you might do a try in, and to show someone what things could look like. And of course, I did that a lot in the old days when we did ceramic and and, and all these sorts of things. 
what I found with, was with, a, with a, a large group of patients who wanted veneers and who came to me and were happy to pay for veneers, but they didn't want conventional comprehensive ortho. When I offered them a limited objective ortho that I said to them, you know, you're only going to be wearing this, these aligners or this appliance or whatever for um, maybe two or three months, but it may mean that you don't need veneers. Um, a lot of them just said, yes, I'll do that. And then as soon as I you know, I was starting to whiten their teeth kind of at the same time. Uh, a lot of these patients who at one point had had a very kind of fixed idea of what their smile wanted to be like, and how perfect it needed to be in every possible way, you know, gum heights, buckle corridor width, all these sorts of things. As soon as he's straightened their teeth, all that went out the window. And they were just interested in, you know, well, what can you do about the edges of my teeth? Because there was usually a bit of differential tooth wear or something. And their eyes were just focused kind of on the edge. And um, and that point, we were just did bonding or contouring, whichever it was, usually bonding. And um, so, so really, then I, I kind of coined the term aligned bleach and bond, but another term that I kind of coined, which isn't used that much, but some people do use it, um, I called it sort of progressive smile design, where you're able, someone's able to see their teeth change gradually and make their decision based at that point now you could argue well if the author took two years no one's going to want to do that they'll just say have they'll just have veneers done but if the author only takes quite frankly a few weeks even perhaps you know just a little bit of movement or maybe 12 weeks or 14 weeks or whatever i mean who wouldn't want to do that you know it, it would it, it would actually make me question um the reasoning of a patient you know i'm trying to put it politely if they were just saying no ortho whatsoever, um, just not veneers immediately, you know, if in what six weeks you could just tilt the teeth enough to then not have to prep them dramatically. Mm. And I think then what really hit home with a lot of this stuff was when I started eventually, you know, it didn't take long into ortho, but eventually I sort of really understood the the kind of concept of what what little study uh, or a little study actually meant. Um, a little study is a study which has gone on for quite a while, but you know, back in 1990, it was. There's a it was written, I think there's several points it's been added to. But when I really understood the impact of that, um, probably, I don't know, probably 2010 or something like that, I think, uh, maybe a bit earlier than that, I realized that actually teeth will move anyway. And the point being is that if you stick veneers and crowns on, or composite veneers, um, on patients' teeth who've got crowded teeth, the fact is you need to retain them anyway. So therefore, you need to tell the patients that they need a retainer. And the really fascinating thing is when you actually tell patients who want veneers or crowns and don't want ortho that they're going to need, need a retainer for life, their mind often changes at that point. It's fascinating, okay? And I, to this day, I would genuinely say that I don't think there are that many people who are currently smashing out composite veneers and porcelain veneers left, right, and center, or injection molding, whatever it is, who are having that conversation with their patients and telling them you need a retainer for life. And I, I'm actually quite scared of what the medical legal impact could eventually be on that, because it is if you're not telling the patient, you're actually not consenting them. So I think that the, the, I know in a roundabout way of saying, I think it's aligned bleach and bonds started as, yes, an aesthetic alternative. That's great. Um, minimally invasive. It sort of developed into a great functional interceptive treatment but equally it's revealed a what i believe is a massive blind spot in dentistry where dentists are not actually aware how teeth move and how function changes 
part of the reason and if we get back to the beginning because don't, people don't take photographs routinely mm. so they don't even know their own patient's teeth are moving gradually so it, it's it's kind of kind of sort of gone full circle from starting as a aesthetic alternative to actually becoming some something which given the choice of you know aligning bleaching and bonding compared to placing porcelain veneers or whatever on crooked teeth if you don't retain those teeth you might as well not bother even doing anything do you see what I mean? So it's sort of, it's it's kind of become almost essential treatment now to the point where if you're not offering it and you're doing the alternative, um, you could, you know, it could, could be in potentially hot water you know, as an argument. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in terms of aligning, I'm sure there are lots of aligning systems out there and, um, you know, patients might not be aware of this, that we can be general dentists doing aligning of the teeth and there are various um, systems that we do use. I'm sure you've used lots of different uh, systems in your time. What is your preferred treatment and what do you prefer? I mean, I, I, mean I, I love using aligners. I've used, I've been known for using lots of different things and spring aligners and fixed and this and that. And I do, I think it's important to understand all the different ortho methods. I think it's also important anyone learning ortho doesn't just focus on one um, type of, of aligner, so to speak, you know, be it clears or this, you've got to understand everything. However, I think when you are doing clear aligners, the fact that most patients actually want clear aligners, that's what they want, you know, no matter what we, what our own preference is, I want that uh, to be as uh, flexible in the sense of as many, um, as customizable as possible. Because the thing I've realized, having done so many different kind of aligner uh, types and so many patients, is that no patients are same. Um, mm. And that actually aligner mechanics really need to be sort of uh, optimized for each patient. So like, for example, one system I use, SureSmile, um, one reason I like that is that it's got um, a lot of customization. Now, what that means is I can look at the patient, look at the clinical features like length of the teeth, uh, how much rotation there is, and I can choose to have um, either a scallop finish line or a high finish line. And and the question is, if you're you know listening to me say that, you don't know what that means. Well, it's worth understanding because to me, sort of, and a liner system that just only has scallops is actually going to, I know we're going to end up needing millions of attachments to try and compensate for the fact that there's almost too much floppiness in the aligner. Um, whereas some patients who have, say, for example, short clinical crown heights, just need tipping, or maybe you want true expansion, will be miles better off with a higher straight finish um, uh, you know, aligner line. Um, and because you have a lot more rigidity in the aligner and therefore you also probably don't need many attachments. So something like, like your smile is that you can actually choose the aligner design um, for each patient. Um, obviously you need to understand what's suitable for each patient. Uh, typically a patient with um, you know, rotations and long clinical crown heights, you would want a scallop or a lower finish line because you want more flexibility. But equally, it would be great once you've done those certain movements to then be able to choose a higher finish line for the rest of the aligners, which you can do with this particular system as well. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of pros and cons with, with all these things, but I like the customization. Um, I also kind of want to be able to show patients the, the actual teeth digital setup, but within their face. And I don't mean just a simulation on an app. I mean the actual teeth so that very importantly because sometimes if you're only looking at a 3d model um you know you're not looking actually within the patient's face so the model's not positioned in the patient's face 
it's very difficult to know how the the you know are the teeth going to be at the right height you know how how correcting the can is actually affecting the face so i've i found particularly with sure smiles digital software um i think part of the reason is because that particular software it comes from um what originally sure smile aligner comes originally from sure smile advanced and sure smile ortho which were originally designed for orthodontists so it's got quite a lot of high tech uh requirements that they want and what they've done with short smile aligner is to try and keep some of that but just to make the workflow more simple so yeah one of the things i'll want is to you know we can basically see the eyes see the nose see the smile so if i've got a tooth which say for example i call like a vertical landmark i know my upper right central yes it needs to be rotated but the vertical height's perfect and maybe i want i want the lower teeth to be intruded rather than you know if i got a deep bite i want to keep the height of that central correct i can check that's still correct on my digital setup so i'll see the lower teeth emerge rather than the upper lift do you see what i mean yeah. so that's the sort of thing that i like because you've got a you've got a lot more kind of control on on my requirements um particularly my kind of ortho restorative requirements say so i get the teeth exactly where they want or you know to the millimeter um and then on top of that you know i can then customize the aligner design so that the aligner can actually work better for that particular type of patient as well so yeah and and you mentioned different patients prefer different systems or it might be the the suitable treatment for them to go with one particular system of aligners mm. have you noticed that in patients as well they have a preference towards one of these aligner systems not at all i mean this is the thing i mean people sometimes say well if i don't offer brand x will they all walk out the door i said no never because you know I, I i've given up with brand x and and actually no one's ever sort of walked out the door pa patients come to see me you know the fact mm. is um the way i view things is that you know i want the patients to come to me because they they sort of trust me and, and i'm doing what's best for them i'm not i always say i'm never going to be called a provider of a system ever mm -hmm. okay you know i the thing i provide is myself and mm -hmm. i'm going to use those you know aligners to actually give the patient the result they want um to me i think it's it's really important that the dentist is the the thing that the patient's coming for not, yeah. and not some not brand system. yeah it's not the system it's you know it, we we actually lose our our importance and our power slightly by by that not by that happening so um so yeah that's it's never i mean and in reality you know it's kind of um you know you, the fact is i mean the, the patients have got the choice they see what they're going to get um they see the results um they just want clear aligners that's basically what they know they want clear they want it to be invisible and i think the other thing that they want is if possible they want them to look the actual aligners to look nice because this is when i was getting on to the point about attachments um the great thing about being able to choose your finish line or have a higher finish line or a straight finish line is that you need a lot less attachments people don't realize and i've always found with clear aligners if i have to place attachments on or i've got a few of them patients don't like the way they look they mm. really don't like the way they look and you know if you and you only do the only reason why you'd have attachments is because the aligner is not retaining correctly it's as simple as that it, and if the if the aligner is shaped in a certain way that's what's going to happen i think the advantage of actually um something like something like short smile on what the i mean you could say it's a downside but i think it's an upside is that they're scan only because they're scan only that then means you then have the ability to choose your finish line 
So if you accepted impressions, the danger of having a high finish line is if your impressions aren't good or if they are mucocompressive, you're going to end up creating discomfort. If you're scan only, you've got the ability to actually make that finish line whatever you want because they can really, you know, they can make sure there's no heavy pressure on that on that gum line. So, um, so yeah, that's you know, they, I think that's one of the one of several reasons why I'll I'll use it, and I find it's been I found it's been incredibly predictable. Um, a because of scanning, B because of the finish line, and this idea of you know mid course. You know, I hear people talk about mid course corrections and loads of refiners. It just doesn't happen. Um, you know, I've never had a mid course correction with a short smile case ever. And um, and most you know from a from a kind of finishing perspective, um, particularly you know, if I most of the cases I choose, I usually choose like a kind of complete unlimited number of aligner options. Mm-hmm. I just prefer that with most of the cases I do, unless they're really really simple. Um, I'll always you know ask for a little tip for everybody. I'll always ask for overcorrections, so I slightly overcorrect, and so that then means you're then not having to you know scan and get more refiners not that it would really cost you anymore mm-hmm. but it just say it improves that whole workflow so pretty much all my cases complete with all the aligners that i'm using without really any uh any you know a massive amount if at all of any refiners at all um, so i think the accuracy definitely and then the customization allows for that a bit more I think you're right. It's important to know that all the different systems that are out there to not limit yourself to one system only. And I think that's something when the marketing and everything is geared towards a certain system. I think a lot of people are more aware of the system patients and clinicians, but it's important to know that there are other options out there. And like you were saying, everything has its positives and, and negatives. It's just about understanding what works well for certain cases. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, like I said, you know, even even if you're just really begin to clear a line is you also need to at least understand how other delivery mechanisms work yes. just purely from a consenting perspective um you know i see a lot of people that sort of market themselves as a clear aligner only practice that's quite dangerous actually i would i would suggest not say that i you know you need to it's not that you have to deliver it but you do need to at least be able to talk to patients about the alternatives and yeah absolutely a lot less people are happy to have fix now but if you don't even offer it you don't even talk about it um it might be an issue most people do want clear aligners yeah and um and you know you've got to basically for in my opinion you know you basically want to have something that is as customizable as possible that's going to work for as many different patients as possible that's the way i view it So we've spoken about aligned bleach and bond and when it is appropriate, and it is appropriate in a lot of cases, but would you say there are um, clinical cases where it's really not the best choice and you do need conventional treatment like porcelain veneers? Yeah, definitely. I think when patients have lost enough to surface um, of enough teeth that you are probably going to end up needing to use sort of ceramics or maybe um, composites or something like that to actually end up restoring i think the key thing here is is that um once the patient needs some kind of full mouth approach uh, probably that's the best approach to go and you could still potentially use ortho to line things up beforehand uh for me though that is that's difficult treatment i mean i do it i do i've done a fair bit of it the key though is that something you, know, you need you do need education you need practice don't just rush out and do that if you are thinking of doing it you need to kind of go in some courses and learn how to, to make that approach but i think all of us as dentists the goal really should be that we should use things like aligned bleach and bonds and just generally preventative treatment 
to actually stop patients ever going that, down that path. Um, and I can categorically say that, you know, from within my practice and all the patients that I've been seeing over many years, if a patient comes to see me um, and, 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 and I align bleach and bomb their teeth and then maintain their teeth, I can absolutely guarantee they will never end up in my care needing a full mouth rehab. Mm -hmm. And I think that really should be our goal as clinicians because there's too many patients out there that that perhaps do see the dentist and maybe not enough is being said to them, not enough options are being offered. Um, and maybe, you know, for a long time, we've not seen orthorestorative as a way of preventing. But for me, I know it is a way of preventing and holding occlusions and keeping it in the same position and stopping, you know, envelopes, constrictions and bites deepening and all that sort of stuff as well. So I think there's a, a big future for it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think it's about, it comes down to patient education as well to make them understand that actually this isn't purely an aesthetic treatment. This is to do with function. It's to do with the wear of your teeth. And in a lot of cases, it's about preventing future problems that's yeah. going to cost you a lot less actually if, if they're worried about that side of things it's going to end up costing you less to do preventive treatment and it's going to be a lot more conservative of your actual tooth tissue so the biological cost is much lower as well definitely definitely and the, and the only way you are going to show people that is the, the truth is by by recording and documenting and photographing and you know my tip to everybody is photograph all your patients for sure yes you know photograph the patients that you treat get them back follow them up equally. And this is the thing that we should be doing a lot more of is photograph the patients that you don't treat. Because as soon as you start doing that, mm. you will, it's eye opening, the changes that you'll start to see. And, and that will give you, um, you know, very valuable documentation to show you that show your own patients, just to show them what's happened over, you know, it could be one year, it could be five years, it could even be 10 years, but at least they are aware and much more kind of consenting of having treatment versus not having treatment as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such an insightful chat. I've learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed the, the podcast this evening and hope to meet you again. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things. I know I certainly did. And as always, don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Shadi Manucheri. I always love hearing your responses. And if you have any requests for future podcast episodes, please let me know there. I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular. As always, there will be a new episode every week. So please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. And I can't wait to speak to you soon.